Okay, so we started a new series last week. Does anybody remember? It's all on you. Oh. Yes. I'm sure that's not all you learned. Phoebe. Um, he made, um, he looked at the darkness and he said, let there be light and he made it good. God just made people but they're all the same person at the same time. And it's impossible to understand that the same way it's impossible to understand that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God in that time. But And, okay, so you, did you guys talk about that he's human and God at the same time? Or was that just your uh, addition? I think that he touched on it a little bit. A little bit? Okay. I don't think that he, you know, power. He just talked about, like, um, that was it? Oh, it is nice to know. No, it's good that you brought that up because we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, so, did you talk about, what about verse 4? Did you look at verse 4? Yes. Well, you can all turn there if you're not there already because we're going to be there. So, what about verse 4? Somebody besides Phoebe and Gideon, tell me about verse 4. Oh. Oh, well, Natalia, can you tell me anything about what four, verse 4 is talking about? Who's him in that verse? Yep, so Jesus is the life. And what else is he? Someone else help, Natalia. Chapter 1. Verse 4. Yes. Yes. Aristotle's cave. Yeah. He wasn't in a cave. 
personal experience. So that, that's very good, very good on remembering that and explaining that. And you're going to see in this, this particular gospel, because how many gospels do we have? We have four gospels. What are they? <laughs> yes. Okay. You, I know you could. You almost had it without singing it a little bit hard not to, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so each of them have a different focus in the way that they tell the story. Um, just like if you guys were all somewhere and you all saw the same play and somebody asked you, what was the play about? You would all tell pretty much the same story, but you would have different things that you remembered from it, right? Because you can't watch everything all at once in the play. So you might s say, oh, there were these people dancing off in the corner, and the other person will be like, oh, well, no, during that scene I saw these people were over here doing, I don't know, hopscotch or whatever. It, because you all remember different parts and things. So John's gospel, the things that he focuses on a lot is he focuses on Jesus being, being God and being the Son of God. He focuses on what a lot of times you, in theology, they call the divinity of God, which, do you know what it means for something to be divine? Huh? No, anyone know? It, it was first used in, I think it's Greek, if I recall the word comes from, and it often refers to Greek mythology, is where it's like first Greek. used a lot. Okay, you're on the right like, track. Like from a different place. Yes. Um, oh, kind, kind, that's part of it. Not in the Greek sense, like, in so our sense. Okay, it refers to anything that's of the gods. If it's divine, it's from the gods. Or in our case, since we know there's only one God, it's from God. So if we're talking about Jesus' divinity, we're talking about the fact that he is, um, that he himself is God, and it's the God part of who he is. Right? We talked about that he's human and he's God at the same time. If you're talking about the divine aspects of him, it's the part that's God. And John focuses on that a lot. As you saw last week, he starts out, he's talking about stuff way, way, way back. He doesn't even talk about Jesus being born. It never even mentions that Jesus was born, that his parents were Mary and Joseph. Skips over all of that. He starts with Jesus creating the world, talks about who he is, in his essence, and then we're going to get into where the actual narrative starts today. Um, so, did you guys look at verse 14 last week? No. Okay, good. Because we're going to start there this week. So, uh, let's go in this order. We always go this way. We're going to go this way. So Gideon, you read first, and we're just going to read verse 14 to start. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay. So what does that mean when it says that he or Jesus was made flesh? Yeah, okay. So became human, human 
Okay, that's an important part, and we're going to get that to that in a second. And what? Okay, what do you think that glory part refers to? Yeah, that's the God part. Okay, so we saw the aspects of him. He let you see some of that light that comes from God. Okay, and that's what you're going to see throughout this book is that slowly, and in all the Gospels, but slowly... Jesus exposes more and more of who he really is. He shows the God side of him to people so they can see it. At first, he's only showing a little bit. He picks out one disciple, and he shares something with them. Picks out another disciple. He does a one miracle here. Does another miracle there. And, but he doesn't explain everything fully. He is looking for people that want to know people who are curious, people who are looking for um, to be healed, looking for help. Those are the people that he reveals it to. So <clears throat> let me ask you a question. Have you ever played a game with somebody who is younger than you? Yes. What's yes, I have. how young? That young. <laughs> Six? Okay. Any game? Oh, all ages. All ages. Okay, good. Now, um, do you, if you were to play a game, let's say, with a five-year-old, and you're going to play a board game with them, um, what, we'll go with, or how about checkers? You're going to play checkers with them. Yeah. So how about this? Do you use all of your ability when you're playing against them? No. Well, yes, because. No. Abby because you does have to think apparently. about. You have to help them. So you have to play both sides. Okay. I'll give you that. But, if, but we're just talking about on your side. You don't use all your ability and power against them, right? Because it would just be a slaughter, right? You would destroy them. Instead, what do you do? You help them win. Okay, you might help them win. That's good. Okay, a lot of it is you're teaching them. A big part is you stoop to their level, right? You know what it is to stoop? What's it mean? Right, you're lowering yourself down, bringing yourself down to their level. And so why would you do that? Yes. Okay, but why? Why would you just... Okay. Who are you? Okay. What do you gain by doing that? If you were to play hide and seek with a three-year-old, and you because you gotta let them find you, right? You could hide so well that they could never find you, right? I think anyone here is capable of that. You are allowing them to find you. What do you gain by letting them play the game and letting them win. Okay, we're closer now. How about, I had to think about this a little bit, the right way to describe it. What you're actually getting from in, it, in that exchange. You are gaining their affection. Right? They, when, if you do that with a three-year-old, a four-year-old, the next time they see you, they're probably going to be happy to see you because they say, hey, that's the person that we had a fun time playing that game together. 
and they're probably going to associate whatever you did with them with you. They're going to say, that's the person that I do that with. Let's do that again. And you now have a shared experience. You can probably all remember when you were little something like that. Not necessarily, a, it could be a game, but something where someone older than you showed you a kindness that they didn't have to do. And you remember that. Maybe that created a bond between you and them. Maybe they did it over and over. And <clears throat> but I want to give you another example, because that's a good, uh, simple way to explain this concept. But I want you to give one with more purpose, more practical, um, higher level of it. So in the military, there are many leadership styles. They talk about it when, if you go to school to be a leader within the military, they say, oh, you can be uh, the guy who comes in and you change everything and you're real tough and then you let off and be, e be a little easier later. Or you can come in and you can be easy and then you can, they talk about all different things that you can do that will work for you. And um, they all have different advantages but there is one style, and that's kind of a cheap word for it. It's really more of a law of leadership in the sense that you, it must be followed, this law of leadership, for men and women to, to want to serve you by their own choice. Not because they have to or that they're compelled to, but because they want to. And this law here is that you need to experience the same things as the people you are leading. You need to, in the military sense, this is an easier way to explain it, but you need to get in the trenches with them. You need to get down there in the foxholes. You need to put on the same boots at the same time when that Horn plays revelry in the morning. The dun 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 dun. dun. You need to jump up and do the same things that they do. You don't take your time, and because I'm the leader, I can show up later. And you have to eat the same food and take your turn like everyone else. And without that, you're only going to be a figurehead. You're going to be a unknowable and impersonable leader. There's no way for them to know who you are if you're not there with them. So, why do I say all that? What does that have to do with Jesus? What did, yes. He did. What, how did he do that? When he became human, this is a very important part, that sometimes we just, we say, oh yeah, God was human. And we don't think about what that actually means. Because Jesus chose, he didn't just chose to be, choose to be a human for 33 years. He chose to be, although it's an altered state now, he is still in the body of a resurrected human. He chose to be that forever after. Because he chose to have hands and feet and to walk on two legs and eventually to bear five wounds forever. He, if you, when you see him, whether it's after you die or if he comes again before that, you will see that he has whole wounds or actual still holes in his hands and his feet and a huge wound in his side. He keeps those to this day. And he decided to say, I'm going to live in the same world that you live in and I'm going to have a belly button just like you because I was in a woman's belly. I was attached by an umbilical cord and I was born naked just like everybody else was. He cried when he was a baby. 
He was hungry. He was thirsty. When he didn't have water, he worked probably really, really hard, especially then. Way harder than people work. A lot of people work today. And he chose to, he just did a regular job. He was a carpenter. And then that meant he would have built a house. He would have built a barn. He would have built a chair. He would have, anything that was made of wood, he would have done. And he did all that. And then he died for you. And he has the holes still to prove it. He's going to keep those forever to say, I know what it was like to live as a human. And that puts a whole lot of meaning into it. Because there's, they're probably, there probably would have been another way, if God wanted to make a different way to save us, he probably could have, right? Or at least we don't know of any other way. But he's God. He can do whatever he wants. But he chose this way to do it. Now, John, uh, and this is John the Apostle, because we're going to meet other Johns, is writing this book. And like I said earlier, he doesn't put anything for 30 years from here to him becoming human being God all the way to when Jesus starts his ministry. I think that's right. There's nothing the one-year-old to 30. He doesn't say anything about anything that Jesus did. Nothing in there. Because all that time, Jesus really doesn't reveal anything about how he is the Son of God. There's stuff at his birth, but that's not him doing any of it. That's all stuff that surrounds the event with the star, the angels, the shepherds. He doesn't have any part in that. And there's you get one part in Luke that tells us that he was, when he was a child, he went to Jerusalem in Passover, and he was talking with all the religious leaders, the Pharisees, about how he was telling them about the Bible. And they says, of course I was there. That's my father's business, talking about God the Father. But that's it. And John doesn't talk about any of that. He waits until this moment that we're going to look at to begin his narrative about Jesus. Um, <clears throat> so, he's going to start now with John the Baptist. What do you know about John the Baptist? Natalia. He did, yep. We're going to look at that tonight. What else do you know about him? Uh, Gideon. Herod, but not the same Herod that yeah, tried to kill Jesus. This is a different Herod. Yep. So that's his eventual end. What else do you know about him? Was that what you had? Uh, yes, he did. This is that's right before he's beheaded. He's taken from jail to be beheaded. You know anything about his family? No, not his yeah. friend. Yeah. 
Elizabeth. Elizabeth. No. And Zachariah. Yes. So, right. That's right. So Zachariah and Elizabeth are relatives of Mary, and Zachariah and Elizabeth through a whole other story, but basically they're told, even though they're, I think they're in like their 70s or their 80s, they're going to have a child. So miraculous, and that child is John, and there isn't anything that ever says that. Jesus and John met, except for when Mary was pregnant and Elizabeth were pregnant, and they met together, and yep, and John flipped in his stomach when Mary was approaching. We don't know if they ever met outside of that. They may have, but it it's really not it's not super important. But John, what else do you know about him? So. We know about his beginning. We've talked about his end and a little bit about what he does, right? The most important thing that he does. Why is he baptized, Jesus? What's he doing? What gets him to that point? Yes. Uh, well, yes, yes. Okay, <clears throat> so... John, who is older, a little older than Jesus, he, when he gets to be probably in his 30s or early 20s, he goes out into the wilderness. And have you guys had your map yet? As you moved up? to wear camel skins and he eats grasshoppers or locusts and he eats honey and he has a long beard and big shaggy hair he just lets it grow because well I think this is well I'm not going to say that because I'm not sure um, and he is called by God go out there. It was actually prophesied 500 years before by Isaiah that he would do this. And he goes out there and he starts preaching and telling people, get yourself ready, fix your heart, because the Savior is coming. The Messiah is coming. And people who decide that they want to change, he takes them and he baptizes them in the Jordan River as a symbol that they are ready for Jesus. And he's doing this, and there are hundreds of people that are showing up, even thousands of people. And he gets a lot of publicity. Everybody knows about him. And eventually, because he keeps moving around on the Jordan River, and he gets up to Bethany. Anybody recognize that name? city. That's where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live. That you may meet later. And this is also near to another town called Nazareth. You ever heard of that place? Who lives there? Jesus lives there, okay? And he is doing his thing. He's preaching, talking about preparing the way for Jesus. 
and <clears throat> um, this is where we're going to pick up back in chapter 1, but we're going to jump ahead to verse 28 now and read 28 to 31. If you can start, Phoebe. These things were done in Bethabara. Or Bethany. Beyond Jordan, where John was baptizing. And that day John see Jesus coming unto him in sight. And behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not but that he should be made manifest to Israel, therefore I am baptized as well. Okay. So this is a fascinating and pivotal moment in the Gospels because this is the moment where Jesus publicly shows who he is. It's the first time that he gets any idea of who he is. And it's still just a little bit of light that he's letting out. And because he really, he's told nobody why he's here on earth. And in fact, we don't really even know when in his life, since he was born up until an adult, when he comes to know his purpose himself. Because think about it. He's a baby. If he's human like us, he's not when he's one year old thinking, I'm going to die on the cross for everyone in the world. I mean, he doesn't, that's not what a one year old thinks about, right? I'm sure they told him about how he came to be, but they don't know what he's going to do. Mary and Joseph do not know that he is going to die on the cross. Right. Right. So we know Mary and Joseph told him that God is his father, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he knows that he's going to die on the cross at that point. He knows then that he's the Savior and the Messiah, but what does that mean? Because if you looked at all the religious leaders at the time, none of them would have said that the Messiah was going to die on a cross. They thought he was going to come and be their king and overthrow the Roman Empire. They, they totally missed the mark of what he was going to do. Now, it's all, you can think about lots of ways, but it doesn't say exactly how or when he comes to realize this. But we can surmise or think that he probably, well, we know he read the Bible. He read the scriptures. And he probably read verses and said, I think that verse is about me. He probably read the verse, um, Isaiah, I think it's Isaiah 40, that talks about Jesus dying on the cross. He probably read that and realized sometime between when he's born and when he's 30 years old, where he's now meeting John the Baptist, that he realizes what his job is to do. And that means that John the Baptist doesn't even know. I'm sure he knows the story. He's his cousin. But he doesn't know what that's going to look like, how it's going to play out. And <clears throat> however Jesus realizes this, that it's time for him to go to the Jordan River to meet John the Baptist for this pivotal moment, whether it's in prayer that God, his father, speaks to him and tells him that, or maybe it's just um, his decision by knowing what John is doing, that saying this is something I need to go and do. He has now come. He's walked down to the river. There's a crowd all the way around on the banks of the river. Picture just the baptisms we do. We have a whole crowd of people all around it. And as he's walking up, 
um, as he's approaching that crowd, John the Baptist sees him. Jesus catches his eye, and John shouts out, Look, there's the Lamb of God. He's come to take away the sins of the world. Now, how many times have you heard that phrase, the Lamb of God? A lot. Would it, would it seem weird to you that no one ever said those words, Lamb of God, in that order, as that phrase before that moment? Nowhere in the Old Testament. They know that there is a Messiah that's promised, but they don't know. You could figure that out. You'd have to be pretty smart because nobody yeah. did, right? Or no one at the time understood it. Well, the simple answer is John the Baptist did it because that was God's plan for him to do that. Whether God prompted him to say that in the same way that any of the prophets write something down. He was prompted to say that by God. And now, lambs, though, are important, right? In the Bible, what is a lamb for? Natalia. A sacrifice, right. So if you hear someone say, the lamb of God is here to take away the sins of the world. Probably everyone is immediately thinking, okay, a sin, lamb and sins, those things go together. That's what we do. We take a little baby lamb, we take it to the temple, we put our sins on it by laying our hand on its head and confessing our sins, and then it's killed, and that covers up our sins. That makes it so we can have a clean relationship with God. And now Jesus, this guy that nobody knows who he is, he's just some backwoods carpenter, comes up, and John the Baptist, who's pretty famous at this point, although he's a wild guy, he's not a fancy Harvard grad or anything like that, he's a wilderness guy, shouts this out. And that is another little piece of God's light being shown. Jesus' light saying, hey, here's a clue as to why I'm here. If you're thirsty, if you're looking for an answer, here's a little bit of it. And Jesus then comes up to the river, walks in the river, right up to John. Obvious why he's there, right? wants to be baptized. That's what people come to John to do. And John says to him, if you were to look in Matthew for the parallel story to this, John says, I can't baptize you. You should be the one who's baptizing me. I am not worthy to do this. And Jesus says, nope, you're going to baptize me. Basically, the word he says is suffer it to do it. Or do it even though you don't like it. So G John does it. In the moment that that baptism happens, the Holy Ghost comes on Jesus from above like a dove. Uh, somebody read verse 32. says that God all that also God's voice came from heaven God the Father and said this is my son in whom I am well pleased now John the Baptist is right there watching all this and he hears he says this is the lamb of God 
And then he hears God say, this is my son. He sees what looks to him like a dove come and rest on him. That's a whole lot of stuff all at once to see happen to your cousin. That you just had no idea any of this stuff was going to be like this. Now, let me ask you this. This is where you got to look at what the words say. Is it a literal dove? Anybody think it's a literal dove? Who says it's look just looks like a dove? Explain. Okay. That's a good question. Well, let's look at it again. Let's look at it again. It says, John bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. Okay. So, well, hold on. Let's, um, I know not all of you were here for it. Actually, Abby might be the only one. How about with Ezekiel? Remember Ezekiel? Remember all the stuff he saw? Oh my gosh, the angel with eyes. And the wheel and a wheel. What did he say before all those things that he described? He said, it looked like a wheel within a wheel. Or it looked like an angel with a thousand eyes. Or or have you guys all looked at Revelation sometime in Sunday school? Or okay, okay, we'll we'll get there. So, how about um, hold on? I was going. I had something for this. Well, because <clears throat> if I if you had never seen an orange before but you had played basketball, let's just pretend, and you, and I told you, I had an orange for lunch today, and you said, what is that? I said, well, it looks like a tiny basketball. It's even kind of got a texture like a basketball, but not really, because it has all these black lines on it, or it or doesn't have these, these black lines on it. Would you know what an orange looks like? Sort of. But if you saw it, you'd be like, okay, I see now, but it's not really a basketball, right? Yeah. So when the, in the Bible, when they see spiritual things or things in the future and they say, well, it looked like this, but I have no way to describe it to you except to say it was like this or it was like that, but it wasn't really that. This is that same situation where he's got nothing better to try to explain it to you than say it's like a dove that descended upon it. So whatever that means, but Abby pointed out very uh, wisely that the dove is representative of what? What'd she say? Purity. That's one. What? No, not Jesus. Okay, it is representative of the spirit, especially any from this point on. Once you have this writing, then you look at the rest of the Bible and you say, oh, when Noah had the dove, right? You all know about Noah with the dove and the olive branch. Oh, that was probably representative in some sense of the Holy Spirit. And there's other places throughout the Bible. But what else? is a characteristic of the dove. Gentleness. Gentleness, right. Have you said that too? Okay. So let's take this further. What about a lamb? What are the qualities of a lamb? 
okay, especially in the Bible and Judaism, well, you pick out a lamb that is perfect, right? Especially if we're talking about a lamb that is a sacrifice for sins. It's going to be perfect. It's got to be. What else about a lamb? Innocent. If I compare it to a lion. Tiny. How about meek? For those of you that are new, we talk about meekness a lot. Yes, Moses was very meek. And in fact, they say, what did they say about Moses? They said, what did God say to Moses? He said, somebody else is coming after you who's like you, but what? Sort of. That would make him better or greater. One is coming like Moses, but greater. So what is meekness? Okay. What else? This is an important part of it. Um, yes. You're like not an aggressive person. Right? Like you are not, but what it's peaceful, not weak. Not weak, yes. We say that a lot because a lot of times world, if you say somebody's meek, they think, oh, they're really weak. Yes, that's important. So power, but choosing to submit. Choosing to submit, and that is Jesus. How powerful is Jesus? All powerful because he's God, right? But he's choosing to become a lamb, to become a little defenseless, helpless, right? As a baby that he comes, he's choosing to be that small and lower himself. So we see that Jesus, represented by these uh, these these pictures of a lamb and a dove that comes upon him, the spirit, God's spirit, that he's making a statement by also doing this and being baptized. What does it mean to be baptized? Yes. Okay. So, what would it mean? Why would Jesus get baptized? Somebody else explain a little more. Well, okay. What I think is that, like, he's he's not he gets baptized because everyone else gets baptized, and he doesn't want to because it's not like he doesn't have to because he's perfect. Like he doesn't want to put himself above everybody else. Okay. Look, I'm like you. That that is good. That's a good secondary aspect. Why would he get baptized? Does it have anything to do with um, sin or having sin removed? No. Why? Because he doesn't have any, right? He, that part is not necessary for him. So why do it? Phoebe had some of it in her answer. No, no, no. Why do you, why do you get baptized? Okay. 
Right, because what is he starting at this point? His ministry. His ministry, his purpose. I am now accepting why I came here. I now understand why I'm here. I am submitting myself to God, the Father, in this, in this act publicly. And God, the Father's response is, uh, <laughs> yes, but more specifically, hold on, I, I want to make sure I get it. Oh, right. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? He's saying he I am pleased with how he is how he has acted up into this point. He is following why he came here in the first place. So we see then after that, because he has a righteous heart, because I mean it's like we said, it's a hard thing. Gideon said you can't wrap your mind around how he's God and human. You're like, well, yeah, of course he's righteous. Why wouldn't God be pleased with him? He is God. And it's like, you can't, you just can't figure it out. And, but this is showing everybody else that God, this is God's son. He's pleased with him. And then his spirit rests upon him. And this is the beginning of Jesus shining that light out to everyone. He does this in front of hundreds of people that see it. There's thousands and probably millions more within Jerusalem. And he's going to begin to go around throughout the countryside from town to town and spread the message. Let people start to see who he is, to look for people who are hungry, people who are hurting, people who need salvation. And that is where we're going to stop for tonight. Thank you, guys.